0: Hello, and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. Today, we are going to talk with Rod Matthews, and Rod Matthews is, you know what, this time I'm just going to let Rod tell you all the great things that he does and what he does. So hit it, Rod.
1: Well, Hello, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. My name is Rod Matthews. I am with Brevian Energy, and we are a commercial microgrid solution provider. We produce low-cost, resilient, and sustainable power for businesses, communities, and municipalities. And we do this by deploying microgrids powered by renewable sources like solar, batteries, wind, hydrogen fuel cells, geothermal, and the like. Generating assets with using renewable power sources.
0: That's awesome. Okay, cool. One thing that I was thinking of just starting off with is since I'm an NEC guy, That's the National Electrical Code, and a lot of people here are MAPCEP-certified people listening to this podcast. And so there's a whole lot of different definitions of microgrid. So what I thought maybe what I'd do is just read the 2023 National Electrical Code definition of microgrid, and then we could talk about that and how there's different definitions besides the NEC. And a lot of times the NEC is wrong about stuff, so it's not like it's you know one of those books where you have to believe that everything in it's right. Here goes the definition, an electric power system capable of operating in island mode and capable of being interconnected to an electrical power production and distribution network or other primary source while operating in interactive mode, which includes the ability to disconnect from and reconnect to a primary source and operate in island mode. So that's the definition. I always thought it was kind of vague in certain ways because it could be like a house could be a microgrid or a village could be a microgrid.
1: That um, is true in both of those cases.
0: mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah, And then another thing just like to compare it to is the word standalone. And so there's standalone systems is in the National Electrical Code, has its own article, standalone systems, article 710, and it's stand hyphen alone. And so that's like a system, usually it's going to be like PV and batteries, maybe a generator where they're not connected to the grid. And then they have in the inflation reduction act and in other places too, like if you're talking to utility operators or people that are developing large energy storage systems, they have standalone is one word without the hyphen. And that Mm. means an energy storage system that's not co-located with solar pretty much. So anyway, I just thought I'd just
1: throw some definitions out there. It's really a semantics game, really, Uh, even down to the thing of what's a microgrid and what's a mini grid. A microgrid is a system that is connected to the grid and can be disconnected. And a mini grid is one that's never connected to the grid.
0: Cool, okay. So,
1: So just semantically. And I know as far as the definition of a microgrid, I like to use the NREL or the National Renewable Energy Laboratory's definition of what a microgrid is. And it states a microgrid is a group of interconnected loads and distributed energy resources that act as a single controllable entity with respect to the grid, it can connect and disconnect from the grid to operate in, in grid connected or island mode.
0: I like that one. Yeah, those people at NREL, they're pretty smart.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. So, yeah. when it comes to what's a microgrid, we kind of refer back to that as really what a microgrid is. And, you know, simply put, it's just a smaller version of the grid, these interconnected uh-huh. loads, and it acts as one controllable entity. And that's okay. usually done with a microgrid controller.
0: Yeah, then the time that I've been to NREL was four different meetings. I think my first one might have been in 2014, where we were coming up with things that were going to be in the 2017 National Electrical Code. In fact, right now, we're having meetings for the 2026 National Electrical Code. Maybe I'll throw that out there, the NREL definition, and see if they'll take that one.
1: (laughs) I'd say so. (laughs) Uh Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because one of the things that kind of confuses people is like, they might have like some isolated place, like a small town, a mine, an ashram, whatever it is, and they want to have like their own grid. They're not connected to the grid, so they can't connect to and disconnect from the grid. And I kind of want to call that a microgrid. Would you call that a mini grid?
1: If it's not connected to the grid, it's semantically a mini grid.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, cool. I have to throw that into my box of definitions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of many. (laughs)
0: Uh Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Great, great. Maybe you could tell us what kind of microgrids you've been working on.
1: Well, primarily we've been doing solar. Of course, that's our primary generation asset. And we store our excess generation in lithium ferrous phosphate battery systems. And then we have the ability to spin those up and be able to take the load when the solar is not producing at that time. We match the battery output with the output of the solar so we can switch between the two, which is really important here in California, as you know, with pretty much all of the major utilities, but with San Diego Gas and Electric, which is our utility company here, they have what's called time of use. So they have three different rate periods, one for peak, which is that four o'clock PM to nine o'clock PM. And those rates can be in excess of 50 to 55 cent per kilowatt hour.
0: Yeah, I was just doing a video for my NABSET PV technical sales class yesterday, and I had one, in fact, I could pull it up even right now because I was just looking at it. I won't mention the utility because I don't want them to get mad at me, (laughs) but it's not very far from you. They have one peak rate for weekdays that goes up to 74 cents. Yes. And I was like, wow, that's pretty high. I have a friend in Germany, and he says that there's some people that are paying a dollar or a euro a kilowatt hour. When he told me that, they're about the same, a dollar and a euro. Right, right, right. But that's some good reason to have some of those lithium ferrous phosphate, or we call them lithium iron phosphate or LFP batteries. Mm -hmm. I kind of like those batteries. I actually just did a podcast on that about the battery technologies. I think that's definitely the future, or at least immediate future, Yeah, I'd say
1: the immediate future, I mean, the distant future for, you know, storage technologies, I think it's going to be changing dramatically over the next five to 10 years. But I think as of right now, the lithium ferrous phosphate batteries are probably the best option. One, because they don't pose the fire and temperature hazard as the lithium ion batteries do, and they have the ability to cycle more than the lithium ion batteries. So they're a lot more efficient.
0: Yeah, and then you don't have to get all that cobalt from the Congo either. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that helps as well as and, far as the overall scope of what we're doing. Yeah. We're trying to preserve the environment and save the planet. We don't want to take away from what we're doing good in one aspect and doing detriment in the other by deploying the same technology.
0: Yeah, and it's like for cars, I can see why they need that higher specific energy, which is energy per weight and higher mm-hmm. energy density, energy per volume. But, you know, something that's stationary energy storage system, it doesn't matter that much if it weighs a little bit more. It's not like you're yeah, trying you have to that, accelerate it.
1: Yeah, not <laughs> transporting it, yeah. you know, moving it often doesn't necessarily have to be mobile. So yeah, mm-hmm. i get you with that. Yeah, yeah. There are some yeah. technologies coming down the pipeline that are truly impressive and are way more productive by leaps in orders of magnitude than what we have now with lithium ion and lithium ferrous phosphate.
0: Yeah, I know. It's pretty exciting. We just have to figure out how to not get caught up in some hype of, <laughs> like we've had with solar for all the years of like, oh, this is going to change everything. That The efficiency is going to be... Double in the next year or something like that, they would, yeah. people would tell us. But I believe, yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting things coming out. Once they figure out how to stop the dendrites and we could have like the plain old lithium metal batteries mm-hmm. and get the silicon anodes and all kinds of neat stuff. And I always figure too, like with chemistry, there's so many different combinations that they just need to figure them out.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> mm. And again, in the creation of the technology, doing this little damage to the environment as possible and the disposal of the technology doing as little damage as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think those are two factors that really need to be considered as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. So some other things too, like I was looking at your website a little bit and you were doing distributed power energy resource management system service. And so I was going to ask you a little bit about that and also maybe kind of go into virtual power plants after that.
1: Right. I mean, This has been a great unlock for us as being able to do the virtual power plants that allows us to work with customers, particularly with multiple locations where we can build out services without having to necessarily build out a plant at each one of their locations. And they can still experience those cost savings in that way. And we have the ability to manage all of those resources through some of the technologies and the controllers that we deploy.
0: So I know like a lot of people are just, you know, focused on residential. And so you're focused on. Yeah. Commercial industrial. C&I commercial industrial. So I guess people have the question sometimes of what kind of equipment, how is it different from the residential? I know a lot of things just kind of scale up, but like, where do you go buy a microgrid for, you know, like controllers and things like that. And then you're going to have to figure out how to control it yourself too, with software and
1: connections. Yeah, well, you certainly don't go down to the local hardware store and purchase it. <laughs> uh, oh man,
0: uh, I was just going to go just now. Sure. <laughs>
1: no, nah, you can't go to Home Depot and get those. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, though, at places like Costco and things like that, you can get stuff for the home installations or work with some of the companies that can do so. But really on the commercial and industrial side, it's really about having the relationships with installers or what we call, we're EPCs or developers that we do engineering, procurement and construction. You have to have someone like that who has relationships with the vendors and the manufacturers for the commercial level equipment to do so. I mean, as an individual, it's hard to do it yourself to go and make a power grid. Because really, if you think about it, you know, now with the relationship that you have with the investor-owned utility that you deal with now, really all you worry about is you go and turn on the switch and the lights come on. You really don't care how that happens. So same would be you would deal with Someone like an engineering procurement and construction company or a developer who you look to deploy these renewable energy services, really all you care about is going and flicking the light on and it comes on. However, now you do so at a lower cost with better resiliency and more responsible for the overall impact on the environment.
0: So when you do stuff like that, how does it work? Like I know a lot of it's going to be making connections, network, all that kind of stuff with like computer stuff. And then there's going to be some kind of connection to somebody that's going to be probably managing the loads and the sources Mm -hmm. sort of in real time, sort of human, sort of AI, maybe like AI with humans looking at it. And so how does that work?
1: Well, really, just like you said, you know, with IoT, the Internet of Things, that gives us the ability through sensors to really monitor every aspect of what's going on at a power plant. It doesn't require really a lot of human intervention. Things like the grid controller systems that are with AI built into them know how to keep a system optimized, know when to appropriately dispatch which particular generating asset to match what load, know exactly what time it understands because all this stuff is pre-programmed. It understands what time is peak time. It understands, hey, I need to shift the load from solar because it's only giving me 55%. Of our load capacity right now, I need to shift that to the battery because it's getting ready to be peak time. So I don't want to pull from the load. So a lot of that stuff is done automatically, and it's all monitored remotely. You know, with either a Wi-Fi connection, or satellite connection, or cellular connection, it goes back, and we can monitor via our dashboards. It feeds all that information in real time to us, so we can tell what's going on, whether or not we need to dispatch somebody, whether or not we need to better tune or finer tune one component of the system or not. All that stuff is being fed back to us in real time.
0: So how do you set that up or where do you get, like you've got a microgrid controller for a factory and so you set it up, you get it all working. Are you the one that's going to be monitoring this stuff all the time or keeping an eye on it or you just kind of set it up Or is there some kind of like centralized location that does stuff like that?
1: There's really two ways we go about that. So one, we have two models of how we deploy services. One is a done with you service, meaning that as a customer, you own these facilities, you own your power generating assets, and you also get the opportunity to take all the tax credits and incentives as well. In that situation, they could pay us a fee to actually operate the system for them and actually provide maintenance for an O&M contract. We operate and maintain that system for them. And there is a done-for-you service, which we do with power purchase agreements. Mm -hmm. So we just make a long-term 20, 25-year agreement with the customer. We build out the facilities. They don't have any CapEx or capital expenditures going out to build these plants. We take care of all that. It would be just like their traditional investor-owned utility where they flip the light and they just worry about it it coming on. They don't worry about how that happens. They just understand that they're in the contract to save money. They have more predictable escalators and more resilient, more responsible power. Mm -hmm. Uh, We take on the burden and the expense because we're providing a service to them to keep it going. So we're contractually obligated to keep that service going. So we have to monitor and maintain the system and we're producing the power for them. Mm -hmm.
0: And so for getting this kind of equipment, like I know it's pretty easy to go, like for residential, somebody goes out and they buy their, you know, their residential battery and their residential inverter, and there's a whole bunch of them out there. Then they hook them up and then they even get like the person or the company that sells the inverter and the battery. They can even do a virtual power plant for somebody's house. Mm -hmm. So you have like Enphase, SolarEdge, Tesla, and a whole bunch more doing that kind of stuff. And so for a commercial system, it gets kind of bigger. And so you're more managing it and things like that. So let's say like with a virtual power plant operator, like a big one, then they'll say, okay, we need to negotiate with the utility to sell electricity back to the grid because the grid operator is paying 80 cents a kilowatt hour right now, because everybody's air conditioner is on. How does that
1: work? Again, with opportunities where you're building a virtual power plant, a lot of that stuff comes into effect when you're designing the system, Mm -hmm. right? So you can design a system not only to meet the needs of that particular customer, but if you understand what the economics are of the market that you're in, how you can sell your excess, you can build a plant that can sell excess to the local utility to earn revenue that way. So Mm -hmm. that makes up your total balance sheet at that Mm -hmm. particular time.
0: What kind of size batteries are you been using?
1: Our core customer and our target market is the one megawatt to about two hundred kilowatts. You know, we start off about a two hundred kilowatt customer, which you know, an office building, midsize to larger warehouse, starting out, and we scale up from there. Okay. Uh, And then
0: so like, say for the megawatt, I also like to talk about like the megawatt hours. Is that, would that be like a megawatt and a megawatt hour or something
1: like that? So that's different. We're talking about megawatt is the peak load and the megawatt hours is how long they can sustain that load Mm -hmm. to put that out. So we're looking at for its peak. Most of the batteries we do are around between 256 and 500 kilowatt Mm -hmm. batteries. And Mm -hmm. those can do up to multiple megawatts per hour. Okay. All right.
0: Great. For instance, I was just looking at the news and I saw that a company, Fluence, they just had their stock go up. Would that be like, would you use a company like them for the batteries? We use a company called
1: Blue Planet Energy.
0: Blue Planet. uh, Okay. I've heard of them.
1: Yeah. Great. Okay. Ironically enough, there's a movie out right now about the guy who founded the game Tetris. Uh huh. So that guy is actually the founder of Blue Planet Energy.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Uh,
1: He took his uh, Tetris money and yeah. retired to Hawaii and uh-huh. just going to live his life out. But he got there and started having all kind of problems with keeping his multimillion dollar home powered up. Uh-huh. So he awesome. decided being a technology guy, uh, Hey, I'm going to go to MIT and get some guys to keep my house going. That's all he was really worried about. They did uh-huh. such a great job of doing it till he saw an opportunity to actually make a product. And uh-huh. that's how Blue Planet Energy was born. Can you play Tetris on their like LCD displays? <laughs> uh, you know, that's probably an option that we're gonna kind of work on with the next release. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great idea. So I have like some rural property that's been in the family since the 1850s, and we're thinking about running some electricity down the hill, and it's like about a 500 foot run. And I was just doing some calculations, and I was thinking like, if I used a battery. I could use a conductor that was a whole lot smaller. So if I cut the current in half, I get four times the benefit. So that means that I could use like 25% of the wire for the same amount of losses, or I could have a quarter of the losses, you know, even better, just like have a lot less losses. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of a lot of losses going down the hill, voltage drop and all that. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking if... I cut the current down to 25% of the current, I get 16 times the benefit. And so that's why they boost voltage and all that kind of stuff. But Mm. there's another way to do that with a battery. And so one of the things that happens is you get peak loads and the load goes up and the load goes down. And so instead of having 20 amps for six hours, peaking out at six hours with 20 amps, I could do Mm. five amps all day long for the battery. And so I could have 16 times less losses for the same amount of electricity just by making it go all day instead of a quarter of the day. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then it kind of reminds me of how the utilities, they do something called smoothing and things like that, transmission and distribution deferral. And so I was thinking, since you're down in San Diego, has anybody put a conductor under the border and then just kind of like get the cheap electricity, whatever side of the border it is?
1: Cheap and SDG, SDG and E really oh, don't go together. Oh,
0: no, we won't tell them. We'll just go like one of those tunnels.
1: <laughs> I'm just joking around. <laughs> yeah. So I, no, no, I don't think that's in their plans anytime.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't.
1: <laughs> and even go going back to what you were talking about, you uh, know, there's a yeah. component of your electricity bill that a lot of people don't even realize, and it's called that demand charge. Sure. Uh, yeah. Where you are charged, basically, not only for the power that you consume, but the power that's made available for you to consume.
0: Yep. yep. I was just putting together this PV technical sales and app set prep course right now. They have longer requirements. They want 58 hours. And so I'm putting it together. And that was something else I was just getting, you know, demand charge, the charge for power rather than the energy charge. So you get charged for kilowatts instead of kilowatt hours at 15 minute intervals. That is correct. And- a lot of people don't know about that. I know I've heard of it being somewhere for residential, but it's pretty much mostly like a, not a residential thing. So a lot of people aren't aware of it. But oh, yeah, is there's a demand
1: charge on your residential services as well.
0: Oh, really? Is that down oh, there? Absolutely.
1: Huh? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right.
0: That's good because you know what I love? High electricity rates because I'm in the electricity business, right? <laughs>
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So when the electricity rates go up, I tell people that are in the solar business, like, don't complain. That's good for business.
1: That is great for business.
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. Especially when we can provide an alternative.
0: Yeah. So if there's any utility price makers out there, go ahead and raise your rates. It's okay with us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. And that's why we tell people, you know, that demand charge can be as much as a third of your bill. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. we can, you know eliminate or significantly reduce that demand charge by having you not having to pull your highest demand load from the grid. You mm-hmm. can put it from your own generation sources.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess like a lot of people, one thing that NABCEP wants to get across to people is that there's people out there that are solar salespeople that don't understand what a demand charge is. And they come up and they're like, oh yeah, we can offset your entire bill. Yes. And they can't offset the entire bill because they can't offset the demand charge with
1: solar, but they
0: can offset it with energy storage.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that we need power at nighttime. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Or we could just sleep like our ancestors did. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I lived for a little while in a cabin in Alaska, and we didn't have electricity. Once we got electricity there, I kind of felt like we were selling out, you know?
1: (laughs) Hey, I'm a sellout. I'll tell Uh them. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I guess that's why we work so hard so we can go camping and live without electricity on our vacations. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) I tell my
1: wife that often, you know, why Uh do we go camping? We spend a lot of money to live nice. We don't have to sleep outside.
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're electricity people. (laughs) (laughs) So I also noticed something that I thought was kind of cool when I was just looking at your LinkedIn page and it said that you were selected as sailor of the year at two different commands, USS Abraham Lincoln. And what is it? Naval Air Station North Island.
1: North Island, yes. Here in San Diego area. Okay, That was my great. last duty station while I was in the Navy. Yes.
0: Well, congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, I did yeah. nine years in the Navy as a electronics technician.
0: All right, great. Yeah, you know what? I was just talking to somebody else, and then I know another guy. You ever run into Greg Smith? He works for Tygo now, but he's been in the solar industry for a long time. He's um, on this podcast too, but maybe I haven't, see- I haven't had the opportunity to meet him yet. Well, you know what? Are you going to be at InterSolar in January? It's going to be in San Diego.
1: Yes, I will be there.
0: So let's meet up in person, and you can look at, for Greg at the Tygo booth there. I look and, forward to that. Yeah, and he's got some pretty neat stories there.
1: Yeah. I'm sure. Uh-huh. If he was great. a sailor, I'm sure he has.
0: Yeah, you'll find him on LinkedIn, too. He's always barbecuing, showing his latest recipes.
1: Oh, well, he's my buddy automatically. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, I'll <laughs> definitely introduce you to him. Great, great. I just wanted to say, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility to the company to make money. However, our goal is to do good while we're making money. So we look to take on projects that are not only profitable, but we feel that they serve a greater good. So we look for opportunities to do that.
0: Yeah, not it great that it seems that right now, or you know, in the last 15 years, something like that with renewable energy, it's the first time in human history that doing the right thing is the thing that makes you money.
1: <laughs> Man, I mean, there's no better place to be right now. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. I love being a part of this industry at this particular time because, again, it's profitable to do good work. And, mm-hmm. you know, you got to love that. Great.
0: And so, let's see. Do you want to just say how people can find you and find Brevian Energy?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I think the best way to get a hold of us is go to our website. That's brevianenergy.com. That's Brevian with B R E V as in Victor, I A N. Energy.com. And you can email us at sales at brevianenergy.com and one of our guys will respond to you right away. Great, great. You can go to the website and see what we offer and hopefully we can do some great things together. I wanted to just send a plug out to an organization that we belong to called SEBA, which is a collection of Energy Buyers Association. It's the Clean Energy Buyers Association. It helps companies find people like us who can do these projects. And it also connects companies like ours with companies who are looking to deploy these kind of projects. So that's definitely a resource. I would look to seek out if you were a company who's looking to do more research really on what your options are for clean energy. I definitely look at the Clean Energy Buyers Association. Clean Energy Buyers Association, where is it located? They're out of Washington, D.C. But oh, great. I mean, they have a national presence. A matter okay. of fact, they have a couple of summits every year they just recently up in Seattle, and they'll have another one in October in San Jose.
0: Great, great. Okay. Yeah, I go out to Washington, D.C. Now it's going to be about four times a year for doing classes for grid alternatives and kind of like hanging out, okay. riding the bikes
1: around there and stuff. Yeah, I have a good buddy of mine who's associated with grid alternatives that works here. His name is Eddie Price. Oh, great. I'll keep an eye out for him. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Great. Also, maybe I'll even see are going to be at the RE Plus in Vegas. Oh,
1: that's a must.
0: Yeah. So let's look each other up and we can meet up at all these different places.
1: (laughs) Definitely. You know, one of the great things about this particular industry is there are a few conferences that everybody attends and it's almost like family. Yeah. Yeah. You get to know people and it's a pretty tight knit community. Yeah. And most of the people in this industry, they really share the same passions. So it's fun to be around. You know, most of them are really committed, not just to making money like we talked about, but actually doing good and actually trying to help save our planet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Amen. All right. Okay. Well, I'm glad
1: to have a new family member too. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. My cousin from the other side right there.
0: We got it. Yeah. Can't <laughs> wait to shake your hand. I wouldn't be surprised if we probably already hung out over
1: the last however long, you know, but. <laughs> no doubt. Okay. I really enjoyed the conversation and continue doing it. You have a great show. I have a great format. And I really appreciate just listening to some of your interviews. So I appreciate having the opportunity to be on with you today.
0: Thanks, Rod. And thanks for listening to Sean White's solar and energy storage podcast. To find out more about solar, energy storage, microgrids, everything under the sun, and, well, not under the ground, go to solarsean.com. That's solar, Check out some of my heat spring classes.